University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Would you ever read Aesop's fables uh, growing up as a kid? Uh, you know the more famous ones, the lion and the mouse, the tortoise and the hare, the goose and the golden egg, the crow and the pitcher. The ancient Greco storyteller uh, told simple stories with, with big lessons. But one of his more famous sayings is, after all is said and done, more is said than done. Oh, the profound wisdom that we can get uh, too busy talking and not actually doing in our lives. After all is said and done, more said and done, is classified as an apothem. An apothem joins the club of words that are not pronounced in the way that you think they should be spelled. Another word on this list is the word sherbet. I mean, it should be spelled the right way, but it's not spelled the right way. Sherbert is not spelled the way you think it should be spelled, along with words like kernel and, and the like. Okay, I'm just frustrated with this, and our linguistic majors in here know exactly what I'm talking about. Apothem comes from the Greek word uh, that, that means something said or spoken clearly. And so we've been in this series looking at some of the most simple statements in our life that change everything. Simple statements like this morning we'll look at, I see in you. And for this, we take a look at the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 10. Let me lay the groundwork for our story. When we're first introduced to the character Saul, he is a zealous persecutor of the church. The church experienced immeasurable growth in its early days. And Jesus' followers were expanding and diversifying and ministering and developing an authentic community and, and growing exponentially. But all that comes to a halt in chapter 6 when we learn that the beloved deacon Stephen is arrested by the synagogue rulers and the Sanhedrin. They falsely accuse him of blasphemy. They drag him out of town and they stone him to death. And we're told that the, the narrator, by, by the narrator of Acts, that as the people were stoning Stephen, they laid their cloaks at the feet of a man named Saul of Tarsus. There he approved their religious motivation in killing Stephen. Saul was zealous persecutor of the church, who only grew stronger when given the authority to go house to house, village to village, dragging Jesus' followers away to prison, and some to certain death. And as if the narrator didn't capture Saul's religious, righteous hatred for the church, chapter 9 begins in this way, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. From his very words, we learn that Saul came from a great family, both a Roman and Hebrew citizen. He went to the best schools, studied under the best rabbi of his day, and he was an expert in the rabbinic law. He was legalistically faultless. So what does such a righteous man do when he sees a growing threat of heresy within the Hebrew faith? He fights back with the so-called fervor and passion of God. I imagine he thought himself in the same class as some of the ancient prophets who were before him. How could he see himself any different than Elijah who called the people out of their apathy and their divided faithfulness to God? And as we turn to chapter 9, we learn that Saul is on his way to Damascus 
to round up the ringleaders of this rebel band of Jews that claimed to follow Jesus of Nazareth, the insurrectionist heretic that had been crucified in Jerusalem years earlier. But what Saul didn't expect was to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. The man stopped dead in his tracks and is blinded by the leader of the people he is persecuting. Saul literally is thrown off his horse by the blinding light of Jesus' glory. And the men who are with him, they take him to Damascus, where for three days he did not eat or drink, but sat in his blind dismay. And verse 10 states, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to the holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on his name. Let's be honest. If you were Ananias and God were to come with you with such a message to go and help this murderous man who has been oppressing your people and was on his way to make your life a living hell, your response would be something along the lines of, uh, we have a bad connection. Can you call that later on? None of us would want this call from God. It's not every day that God of the universe comes to you in an audible vision. It's especially not every day that Jesus comes to you and asks you to risk your life for the sake of caring for a man who was on his way to have you and your fellowship in the church arrested and possibly stoned to death. Ananias' concerns are legitimate. And yet Jesus says this in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul's eyes, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is one of the most fascinating stories in all of Scripture. Saul's story began in one way and takes a completely 180-degree turn. From, from an ardent tyrant against Jesus' church to a new follower of Jesus in a matter of of days. And, and you have to love the story's literary imagery of Saul being struck blind by Jesus. And when the time was right, the blindness falls off him like scales from his eyes. Saul's blindness is a tremendous metaphor of his ambition, his self-righteousness, his convictions, and his misdirection. And while his blindness did not come until he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, the recognitions of his wrongs, the regret of what he had been doing has also left him blind in apprehension and weakness and in fear. You see, I think we all can relate to Saul. Either his blindness before 
or during Damascus. And for many, we become so blinded by our ambition for more, for success, for power, that we don't recognize the self-righteous and misdirected path that we head on. We can get so caught up in who we think we are, the success that we've had, the dreams that we desire, that we don't realize that we are blind in our own zealous ambition. The blindness of ambition can leave you feeling woefully headstrong, immune and invisible to vulnerability, and impervious to anyone else. And still for others, we're the opposite. We lack all the confidence in the world. We don't believe in ourselves, let alone our skills, our contribution, our worth, and we are blinded by apprehension. And that's a tough place to be in, in which you can't believe in yourself, who you are, and the value you bring. And the blindness of apprehension leaves you feeling weak and vulnerable and worthless and directionless. And these are very profound, contrasting blinders. One can lead us to a place where we really don't need to go, while the other might incapacitate us to move forward when we'd rather just stay still. See, the blindness of ambition and apprehension are remarkable, powerful forces at work within our soul and within our mind. And yet there is something more powerfully at work in this story that is greater than the blindness of ambition and apprehension, which is the triumph of unconditional love. Saul first encountered it in the vision of Jesus along the road. We must recognize that God could have struck Saul dead rather than blind, but God chose to blind Saul of his ambition, giving him a transformational moment of change and bringing about the revolutionary life of Saul. This was the power of God's love. Saul would later go on to write in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful and appointed me to service, even though that I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out abundantly on me along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Before Saul could understand and write such transformational wisdom, he also experienced the unconditional love of a man named Ananias. Through Ananias calling from God, not only willing to go and to see this great persecutor of the church, but his willingness to care for him in his blindness and his thirst and his hunger. Ananias was living out the perplexing words of Jesus to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to bless those who curse you, and to serve those that mistreat you. Ananias is a living parable of the Good Samaritan. And Ananias' care for Saul didn't just stop there. He nurtured Saul back to health, taught him about Jesus, and baptized him into this new faith. Ananias then backed Saul as he faced the church in Damascus, no longer on a mission of judgment, but one of companionship in Jesus. Later, Saul would find another pivotal pillar of unconditional love in his life, a man named Barnabas, whose name literally means son of encouragement. Barnabas would see in Paul what Jesus wanted, 
He would back Saul before the apostles when he stood vulnerably before them in the shame of his past life. Barnabas would become Saul's closest companion in his ministry to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. You see, whether we are facing the blindness of ambition or apprehension, we need the power of unconditional love in our lives. The power of love humbles us to see our self-righteous path that can be misguided, harmful to ourselves and others, giving us a chance for radical transformation. And the power of love also enables us and empowers us when we are lost in the blindness of our lack of worth to ourselves, to others, and to the world. Unconditional love cures our blindness to help us to see who we truly are. Beloved children of God. This fall, I'll have a chance to take my doctoral trip to South Africa that I missed last year during uh, the COVID pandemic. I said that as if we're past the COVID pandemic. Um, I've always been fascinated by the country of South Africa. First, because of the history of the ability to come over and overcome apartheid. The second is just the aura of Nelson Mandela and what he has brought to this world. The third is also the unusual collection of great white sharks to the shores of South Africa. That's another reason, too. But there's a famous saying among the Zulu people in South Africa that goes something like this. Umatu Nugnatu, which literally translates in English, a person is a person. It comes from Mbatu, which is a living uh, this is the idea that this living luminousness of embracing community and healing radiance from the heart and independent human spirit of sharing. It reveals respect and recognition and revelation of the giftedness of human existence. And the amazing transformation of Saul from this great persecutor to champion of the gospel really boils down to a saying just like that. It's a simple saying, I see in you. This was first uttered by Jesus as he encountered this powerful foe on the road of persecuting his church. Instead of damnation, Jesus spoke into Saul's life a new reality. Then, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Ananias spoke life and renewal and hope and potential and future into Saul's life. And if you close your eyes, then you can imagine Ananias saying to Saul, you might be someone that you see yourself as a miserable wretch who arrested and murdered innocent patrons of this faith. But I see in you a man who could use his passions and words and life to radically change the world for the gospel. We need people in our lives that can speak I see in you statements. Other people need us to speak I see in you statements into their lives. And when we say such powerful phrases, we are saying that we are seeing your existence, your soul, that you matter. When we actually look at others and we truly begin to see them as another human being, as a fellow child of God, it takes courage to actually speak into others' lives. And we can choose damnation or we can choose inspiration. And by looking at others... We can only learn and grow when we acknowledge each other, but we can also make a difference if we know that existence of another person matters. So stop and consider how others have done this in your life. Stop and consider how you can do this in the lives of others. 
in the lives of your family and friendships, co-workers, neighbors, fellow church members, consider their strengths when you have seen them thrive, how they have made a difference in others, what potential you see in them that they may not see in themselves, how else could they make a difference in others and in your family and at work and in your neighborhood and your church and in this community. It does not have to be a statement about their strengths and assets and actions that will radically change the course of human history. Even the subtlest I see in you statement about someone's smile or joy or kindness or general humanity can change the trajectory of their life and maybe even our life. What Saul experienced first in Jesus, then in Ananias and Barnabas, those remarkable I see in you statements, he would go on to replicate in his ministry. As Saul started new churches all over Asia Minor and Europe, he would raise up new leaders calling out their giftedness and strengths and possibilities in them. We see so many examples from the life of Titus, John Mark, Priscilla and Aquila, Phoebe and Timothy. But the Bible is full of examples of the power of I see you in statements. Consider Moses identifying and developing Joshua, Elijah identifying and developing Elisha, and Jesus identifying and developing the 12 disciples. What's fascinating is that scientists recently did a study of the impact of empowerment and what that has on the recipient and the giver. They had participants name a person that had the most significant impact in their life, only to ask them to call that person out of the blue and express their gratitude and how they have impacted their lives. And what they found through the study is that the level of joy in both the individual's lives go up more than 20%, radically changing the individual's psychological well-being, reducing stress, increasing empathy, fortifying mental health, and improving self-esteem. Again, all that came from one phone call and saying to someone, I see in you. Who would have thought that such a simple action can have such a profound impact in our lives? You know, preparing for this morning, I, I contemplated the most significant times in my life that someone took the time and encouraged me in saying, I see in you. And what I came up with was an impossibly long list of individuals whose names and significance would not mean a thing to you, but has brought me to where I am today as a person, as a follower of Jesus, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. I can remember my first church interview at First Baptist Church of Clayton, North Carolina. At that time, I knew I was called to ministry, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. But I knew I had experience and skills and a calling, and Gwen Kennedy, the, the chair of the personnel committee, saw beyond my uncertainty and gave me a chance. We stepped out in faith in 2010, beginning the process of discerning with a small group to start a church. I had never started a church before in my life, but Linda Jones of CBF, who didn't know me from Adam's house cat, sat across from me at a coffee shop and said, I see in you something amazing. A few years later, as I was starting a church with CBF, Bo Prosser and Harry Rowland called me out of the blue and asked me if I would take on leading church starts for CBF Global. What they saw in me was my ability to help countless others discern their calling, starting over 20 churches across the country and helping so many other churches. Ann Kramer's not here this morning, 
Um, but Anne, what I see in you is an unbelievable, generous person who's thoughtful and a selfless giver of herself to, to her family, to her Sunday school class, to this church, to the governing board, and countless others. Thank you for your compassion and commitment. Michael Cavanaugh, what, what I see in you is a deeply profound thinker who sows seeds of wisdom and insight into every situation. Your commitment to consider all angles and empower others around us in this church to help us make smart decisions. Thank you for your foresight and understanding and compassion to the often unheard voices among us. Missy Epperson, I see in you these countless intangible gifts of a leader, a, a person who knows how to make difficult decisions, and yet you have this ability to love and include others in ways that, that will directly impact their lives, like my family. We have felt loved and cherished and valued by your tireless invitations of welcome. Thank you for your direction and inclusiveness. Jarrett Wilbanks, I see in you an authentic person, an individual that is full of compassion and wisdom. You give to others, maybe without even knowing the impact it makes. It means more than you know that you're willing to show up on a Saturday at 8 a.m. to set up a soccer field for families that will never know that you've done it. Now, I meant every single thing that I just said about each of those individuals. And honestly, stop and think about how long did that take? Maybe 30 seconds to a minute. But I wonder how it made that person feel. It probably would have felt a lot more satisfying if it had come from somebody else besides me. But besides that point, it's amazing how a simple and an impactful I see in you statement can be on someone's life. The Irish poet Margaret Cousins wrote, appreciation can make a day even change a life. Your willingness to put into words is all that is necessary. Our invitation this morning is simple. Believe in the power of I see in you. Looking for the positive qualities in the people around you, saying empowering messages to members of your family and friends and coworkers and neighbors, people in this community and within this church. You have the opportunity to acknowledge and reveal the strengths and qualities and capabilities of a person often they do not recognize within themselves. Often for the first time, you can help awaken the awareness of the qualities an individual may have not noticed or accepted before. And often within this newfound awareness, it builds self-esteem and empowerment to use their gifts. And so there's three simple things that we can do every single day to notice, to speak, and to plant seeds of hope in people's lives. But Jesus challenges us from the scriptures to be a person of love. But he doesn't invite us to love others in our lives that will love us back or those that are easy to love. Now, he says, even the people that have no direction in their life, the people that hate you, I'm calling you to love them. Jesus calls us, to love others who are challenging to love. So consider the people in your life, their giftedness, their usefulness, and purpose that are hard to see. And in turn, imagine the impact your words of empowerment can be to them. Sometimes the most challenging people in our lives are the people that we encounter the most, our coworkers, our neighbors, those church members, family member. And imagine what God can do through you by simply taking 30 seconds to call out the humanity in others. 
Imagine, imagine what kind of culture we can have at UBC if we called out the amazing qualities and purposefulness that we see in others. Imagine what kind of world we might live in if we sought to lift people up rather than tear them down of who we think they ought to be rather than who they are. So may the Spirit of God awaken within us the courage and vision to see into the lives of others. May the love of Christ embolden us to empower others. And may we live into the power of a simple phrase, I see in you. Let's enter into a time of silent reflection.